bipolar happened, I like lost my mind, but I felt that there was so much beauty in the world as I was like reassimilating into regular life. All right, hello and welcome to Speak the Movement, a podcast where we speak with yoga practitioners, teachers, and business owners for more perspective and insight. This week, we have a very special guest, somebody who is very dear to my heart, it is my own mother, the one and only Jean Caputo. Hello, Jean Caputo. Hello, Libby Odd. We are talking to Jean. She is a 200-hour registered yoga teacher who has been teaching in Katy, Texas for about two years. Right, you are. Mainly my practice, my teaching is geared more towards adults, say 50 or or over, who might be new to yoga. Um, I really like introducing people to yoga and to show people that you can do it at any age. Awesome. I really appreciate that effort. Can you tell us, I always ask people, this is kind of a big question, but at the beginning of our episodes, I always ask, what is Jean's yoga movement all about? You know, I I do have an answer for that. My yoga movement is, is all about promoting physical and mental health through the practice of, of yoga. To to do your movements in such a way that you really become in tune with your body and your mind, your your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and how your body feels. Jean's yoga movement is to get in touch with that, to, to integrate those pieces, your your mind and your body to promote both physical and mental health. That's really good. I notice that that is very much in line with the meaning of yoga, right? Yoga means to yoke the mind and the body. So I think that's really great. It sounds just in line with the intention of yoga too. So can you tell me when you first heard of yoga and you first practiced yoga, what was that very first thing that drew you to the practice? Well, I first started doing yoga a little over 40 years ago. And what drew me to it was just, it was something that my mother and I could do together. We found uh, an evening class at a local high school and um, I uh, wasn't living at home at the time. I was a young adult and I used to go visit my mom on Wednesdays and we would uh, walk to the high school and do this yoga practice together. My mom would often fall asleep during shavasana (laughs) how did you know she was asleep because I could hear her gently snoring she would be right beside me and I could hear her gently snoring I knew I knew that she was asleep so what kind of class was it what was it like um so back then uh you know there wasn't yoga studios all over the place yoga was you know, not quite as prevalent as it is. And there weren't as many styles out there. And uh, so the teacher that we had was um, a woman who I would say was in her fifties. And it was more 
you know, not flow oriented at all. It was you strike a pose, you hold that pose, and then we move on to the next pose. And, um, you know, one thing that I enjoy about contemporary yoga is all the uh, cute clothes. And, and back then there weren't even, you know, yoga pants were not a thing. To do yoga, you really dressed in dance attire, like a, um, a, a bodysuit leotard and um, just uh, footed tights. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, and I, and I remember that our teacher wore a beautiful blue scoop neck leotard with matching light blue tights. I, I just, I still remember just how sky blue and beautiful that, that outfit was. Wow. What a different time. Isn't that yeah. so interesting? Yes. Yeah. So after that first class, as your connection to yoga grew, what did your practice look like at that time? It, so to to I was interested in in doing more of it, and like I said, at that time, forty years ago, yoga studios were certainly not ubiquitous, uh, and so I did a lot of home practice, and I did home practice um, just through uh, um, videos, you know, not like YouTube, like you had to go to the store and buy a video. And I would use sometimes just audio tapes and uh, learn that way. And um, some years on, then Brian Kest uh, started releasing his video series and introducing people to flow and, and power yoga. And um, I really maintained a pretty consistent home practice uh just by um you know seeking out videos and so he was your first like experience with power yoga right oh absolutely I think he was probably many people's first uh experience with um power yoga and um he, you know he did it in, in a way that was encouraging and and challenging he didn't he didn't encourage overreach right he he in, he encouraged uh continual effort um but not overstraining and that interested me in that it allowed me to build certainly a lot more strength than i had built in doing just sort of pose at a time, non-flow yoga. It allowed me to build um, a lot more strength. And it just became interesting in itself, the journey on, can you do how much more uh, flexibility and flow can you introduce into your own practice? Yeah, it was a very creative style, right? The Kess brothers have a very like dance-like, you know, interesting from pose to pose like cool transitions and stuff like that does Brian teach the same as Johnny I know a lot of teachers that I worked with at my previous studio in Austin they practice with Johnny Kest um you know I have never really followed Johnny's work although I followed Brian for many many years and um and he still does uh you know weekend or um you know, um, destination type workshops all over the world. And I used to every year 
travel somewhere and do uh, a, a weekend workshop with um, Brian Kest. And it was just always uh, challenging and enjoyable. And I can remember one time he said, everyone think of uh, a pose that you like, because in a bit, we're going to take whatever pose you like, and you're going to hold it for 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. And, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I picked a very simple seated forward bend that it that was something that I thought, you know, I could hold for uh 10 minutes and but he just always introduced, you know, something a little different. And and this was, you know, long before people were doing yin. Brian was saying, okay, you know, this weekend, one thing that we're going to do is you pick a pose and we're going to hold it for 10 minutes. I'm not going to say anything. And, and actually for Brian not to say anything is a lot because he's, he's very vocal. I'm not going to say anything. You're going to hold it for 10 minutes. And that's, that's long before anybody was doing yin. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like a yin practice, right? But it's an interesting way to balance out the power aspect of everything else in the practice. I think he was just into always finding something that would that would challenge you. Yeah, in different ways, whether that be restful or right, the, the power turned up. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, then, how has your practice evolved since those days practicing at home with the Brian Kess DVDs? in several ways, actually. Um, one way is that I've sought out and tried lots of different yoga studios and yoga styles now. And, and so I've really come to appreciate yoga, although, you know, we're doing the same set of, you know, not that many different poses. You can always do them in some some way that is slightly different, come into it a different way, hold it a different way, emphasize a different um, part of it so that I, I'm always finding something new. And it's really interesting to me that, that you can always find something new in a practice that is thousands of years old. A good mm. example of that that I'll give you is that I had a teacher have us in warrior two and you're gazing over your front arm. And she said, now emphasize your, your um, middle finger with your concentration and now emphasize your ring finger. And the difference that that made because those two fingers connect to different muscle or different um, bones going up your arm. So a different mm -hmm. muscular structure. And so just that subtle difference of concentrating on the third, the middle finger versus the fourth finger, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and so one thing that has definitely evolved for me is just finding those different voices and those little tweaks that give you a very fresh experience in the comfort of something that you've done before. Yeah. And it seems very true to your practice of yoga, where you're focusing on shifting the awareness to like various different parts of the pose and of the body. And so now I hear that your practice at home, you're using a lot of different props to help you get into different um, postures that were more challenging. Do you want to talk about that? Well, 
Yeah, because, you know, I've always actually been kind of anti-prop. And I think because I started so long ago and props, again, were not prevalent 40 years ago. I mean, people barely had yoga mats. You had, a, you know, lots of people practiced on towels. Um, but I have come to a real new appreciation for props in, in I would say the last maybe five years. And, um, and it's because props can really help you with alignment because everybody's bodies aren't the same. Everybody's arms aren't, aren't the same length compared to their legs to get a, you know, a, a nice even position for um, triangle pose, for example. So I've really come to appreciate props and uh, and also props can be helpful I go through periods of time especially when I am stressed that my hips will get very very tight and uh, you can still practice without an extreme amount of strain with um, sitting postures and folding your legs that you know may feel uncomfortable for very tight hips just by bringing yourself up a little bit with a folded blanket or um, a block and um, one thing that uh, that i've found is i i got a, a an inversion chair to help with headstands and i love that i I got it primarily to help me with my headstands, but I have found so many other um, uses for that. Uh, in fact, I've used it to great advantage helping my husband, your dad, uh, do a, a child's pose to just have his arms up on that chair and stretch back is a lot more comfortable than, than going to the floor. Um, to have people do twists on that chair is a lot more comfortable than going to the floor. So, you know, it's not just that particular prop. It's just the idea that you can do inventive things with a lot of props just to help you in, in your alignment and give you that space so that you can perhaps hold the pose a little bit longer than you might normally have been able to do without a prop. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what an inversion chair is, it's kind of a chair-like structure where there's a hole in the top of it that your head goes through and then handles on either side that you can hold as you bring your feet over your head. Is that an accurate description? It's an accurate description. And then your head is never actually touching the floor. It's just kind of suspended through um, that hole. So you're not really taking a lot of pressure on your head or neck yep. at all when you're doing that a headstand with the chair. So you can focus more on your core strength to get yes, your legs you, above your head. Exactly, you can you can focus on, on your core, yes. Cool, so you have worked in the classroom on your headstands as well. And you told me about a teacher that really made a difference for you. So I know a lot of people are interested in learning inversions. So if you want to tell us about your experience about learning your inversion and do you want to share your age? I don't know if you want to share your age. Um, well, yes, I, I am 65 years old and 
I started going to uh, a, a um, primary series, Ashtanga, abbre abbreviated, but an Ashtanga class at a local studio taught by a young woman named Sophie. And um, when I took my very first class and they got to the headstand portion, I did my reliable tripod, which is what I have always done. Um, you, you know, if I did not have my ch inversion prop with me, um, I did my reliable tripod. And she uh, very nicely said to me, would you like to learn to do headstand? And I said, no, I can't learn to do headstand. I've tried many times I've had many people try and teach me I I don't think I can do that and she said well just let me guide you through it and she, she was very careful about positioning me for the setup uh, you know starting from tabletop and measuring elbow distance and and forming the uh, cup with your hands for your head to sit in and within two weeks at age 65, having never done a headstand, this young woman had me doing a headstand. And to my great surprise, I found that once I was trained properly to do a headstand, that I felt very little pressure on my neck and head. Uh, which is what I was relying on the chair to do, mm -hmm. right? To, to artificially take the pressure away from my, from my neck and head. But once mm -hmm. I had somebody train me to set up and get into my headstand correctly. Oh, and I should mention when Sophie came over and said to me, I can teach you to do a headstand. She said to me, I can see that you have the core strength to do this. Mm -hmm. She said, you, you need core strength and I can see that you have that. And so um, if, if you let me help you, I think that we could get there. And I, and I did in two weeks, I got there and I was totally amazed that I, I could tell when I was in it properly, that there was very little stress or strain on, on my head or my neck. Awesome. And then you felt it more the weight on your forearms rather than the right. top of your head. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So shifting gears a little bit, now we've talked about your physical practice. Now we'll talk a little bit more about the mental aspects of your practice and how you're integrating a little bit more with your mental body. So can you tell me about your personal struggles with mental health and how did it affect what you chose to study when you went into teacher training or when you learned more about yoga on your own? Well. I, I was I was always interested in um, the, the the ability of yoga to let you calm your body, right? To sort of slow your heart rate down. And but but I really didn't get the idea that that I could use my breath not only to calm my physical reactions, but to calm my mental reactions as well. And um, I had several kind of severe bouts with anxiety over the years. And, and they didn't first come to me until I was in my late 30s. Um, but I found then 
that I could use lots of the breath work that I had learned in yoga, not, you know, not like a Ujjayi energizing breath, but a, but a calming breath to help me calm down my thoughts and, and to, um, and, and as it relaxes your body, right. As it, uh, as your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, as your heart rate slows, your mind calms and it mm -hmm. all just kind of fits together. And I found that, uh, techniques that I had learned in yoga, like inhale, hold and exhale that if you really concentrate on doing that don't just focus on that breath i have found that 15 rounds of that can put me to sleep can calm me in just about any situation and i also found that um uh guided relaxation even a self-guided relaxation could could really help just getting into a position where you're comfortable whether that's lying down or um in in a supported seat something where you really don't have to engage your muscles to hold whatever position you're in and then just slowly going through and relaxing each part for me i particularly liked the contract of going through each part of your body and sort of gripping it tensing it and then letting go on the exhale because that contrast of, of when you really feel okay now i know what it feels like to really be gripping and be tense in these muscles right now and with that exhale to relax i found that to be very very helpful again not only in um, slowing your heart rate in in relaxing your muscles but that it also flows and relaxes your thoughts and your emotions. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, you know, I had actually really, I found later in life that what I was experiencing as a child was panic attacks at night. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I do. And I would, I would come out and you would lay, we would lay you on the couch and we would say, you know, just, just relax, just sink into that couch. You don't have to worry about it. That couch is going to hold you. And now we're going to go through the parts of your body. And I remember mm -hmm. you would say, find your toes, wiggle your toes around so that you know where your toes are. Yeah. Like now tense your toes really, really tight and then let it go. Yeah. Each part of the body. And we would do that for a while. We were doing that almost every night. Do you remember that? Yeah, for a while. Yeah. But we found out eventually there was a asthma medication that I was on right. Right. called that, Singular. Right. It was connected to childhood anxiety. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. That wasn't well known at, at the time because I remember calling and reporting that to your allergists and they were like, yeah. And now it's, a, it's actually a, a, a well-known side effect of Singular is the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? But I grew up to develop anxiety disorder anyways. So I still must have been prone to it or something. Yeah. But well, I think, I think there's many people, particularly, you know, the way that, um, 
life is now that, you know, your attention span has to be so intense and move so quickly from thing to thing and, and all of the um, stimulation, particularly visual stimulation um, that, that you have all around you, your eyes are never resting, right? When you're pumping gas at the gas pump, they have some video playing right in front of you. And people are always looking at your phone. Just all of that stimulation, I think, contributes to the fact that many, many people feel anxious now. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's good to really be able to identify, you know, this is anxiety. I don't need to feel this way. Yeah, yeah. And, and to know techniques whether it's from yoga or other modalities that help you um take control of that you know yeah i think that we need to have more mindfulness and more awareness to be able to take over that process because otherwise it becomes something that the mind does on its own it's uh what's the word for it's not driven by you it's subconscious almost yeah yeah. Um, but uh, if we can learn to take control of the process, then we have more say in how we're going to feel and how we're going to react. Right. And you might not be able to get rid of anxious feelings entirely, but to know that you have a way to manage them and get through them right. is, is a very powerful thing, I think. Yeah. We can't say that the stimuli and the anxious feeling won't come, but we can say that we can deal with it when it does. Right. That we can, we can recognize it. Oh, I know what that is. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have to be overly scared of this because I know what it is. I've been here before and right. I know, and I know some tools um, that can, that can help me move through it. Wow. And, and um, you know, yoga breathing and um and physical poses can really help. Yeah. On on breath, there is um, a book that I read by a man named James Nestor. He was a, a writer, was a writer for Scientific American. And he spent uh, seven years researching breath. And, it, and it's not because he was a yogi or he was particularly, uh, you know, interested in um, yoga practices, but he just went and uh, researched breath for seven years. And now that's all he does. Now his writing and his research is just focused on, on breath. And um, his book, which is called Breathe, has all kinds of, of breath techniques and uh, stories and um, historical underpinning to you know, how that the way that we breathe has such an enormous effect on our health that we tend to think of breath and it is as an autonomic thing, right? I'm not sitting here saying to myself, take your next breath, take your next breath, take your next breath. But in fact, the way that I breathe has a lot to do with how I feel, both my physical and my mental health. I'll tell you a very short story from the beginning of his book is that he um, investigated the difference between nasal breathing, which is generally encouraged in yoga, right? 
breathe mm-hmm. through your nose if you can. Uh, to, he investigated the difference between nasal breathing and breathing through your mouth. And he actually plugged his nose so that he could not breathe through his nose for 10 days, that he had to oh just breathe through his mouth. And the physical and mental changes to the negative that that he underwent during those 10 days uh, was just um, unbelievable. And, um, you know, he did it in a very scientific way and worked with a doctor who was measuring things in his blood, measuring his heart rate and his pulse rate, and just the the benefits that they showed of, uh, you know, nasal breathing was um, just amazing. And, yeah. and really, uh, you know, I felt very vindicated as, as, a, as a yoga practitioner to say, see, we've been telling you that for years. Breathe through your nose, ujjayi breath. Yes, right. Yeah, ujjayi breath. That's ujjayi breath. Breathing through your nose with slight constriction. Right, right. But that's really to build some some heat and energy. It just, right. you know, altogether, just breathing through your nose, whether you're constricting your throat or not, is uh, the, the better thing to do if you can. I mean, your nose is there for a reason. Your mouth is there for you to eat, right? Your nose is there for you to breathe. That's why it's there, to, yeah. to heat and cool and filter uh, that air as it goes down. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So moving on from there, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, your mental health issues and how these techniques help you to mitigate that. But something that is close and personal to our lives right now is I was just recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which has been a great struggle um, and has offended lots of things in my life. But um, I have strived to keep a yogic mindset through the entire process when I was capable of recalling it. And so my question to you is how do you notice either you or I or both of us using the yogic mindset to get through the difficulties that bipolar imposed on our lives? Um, well, I, I would say one way that the yogic mindset helped me in those traumatic situations was that it helped me to just focus, to not be so worried about what might happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday, but to be focused on what is going on right now and what's the best that we can do for this moment right now yeah yeah because ultimately the past doesn't exist and the future doesn't really exist either so all we have is the present moment right and that's a common teaching yeah and i and i and i think that that helped make decisions or contributed to how the decision should be made to, to just say, I, I, you know, how we got here doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. We're here now. And mm-hmm. what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't know. What is the best that we can do for right now? 
Yeah. And, and of course, breath work can help you get into that mindset, right? To slow, to slow your breathing so that you can focus and you can concentrate and you can say, all that I can do is do the best that I know how to do in this minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I think that some things that yoga helped me to do during that time uh, is to still be able to find the beauty in the universe and in the simple things, just daily mundane things, things that people would normally notice. And that can also be contributed to, you know, they say that when you're manic, the world gets a little bit more um, exciting. But I think that things were so difficult during that time that something that I held on to was really just seeing the beauty in slowing down when you're grocery shopping and seeing other people around you and knowing that they're precious human beings, right? Yes, right. Things like right. that. Right. You know, it's it's um, it's funny that you should use the grocery store example because uh, I I can remember before I practiced consistently, I would get so irritated in the grocery store line, right? It's, yeah. it's like, you know, I work all week. I really don't want to be spending 15 or however many minutes, even if it's two minutes, standing here waiting in this line. And, um, you know, so I would get irritated at the store, at the store managers, at the cashiers, at everybody, because you're making me wait in this line. And until I practiced more and could, you know, not only calm myself with breathing, but, you know, stand erect, engage my abdominals, get a little toning in while, while you're waiting there and to, and to know that there is beauty in, in these small things, you know, the, the people around me, the families there that, you know, they all have their, their own stories and their own things going on. And, you know, just to have more of an appreciation for, like you said, there's, you know, beauty in, in, in smaller things and that it's really not all that irritating or all of that, um, taxing on me to stand for a few minutes in the grocery store line. I can be appreciating the people around me and I can be, you know, doing little things for myself in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I figured out during that time that like, I have time to be here, you know, and I have time to go home and load all this stuff into my refrigerator and normally those tasks are like just so frustrating that I just want to get them over with right right but when you accept like I have this time and this is what I'm going to spend my time doing so I might as well just slow down and not mind if somebody else passes me by in the aisle that I was trying to go down because what what is three seconds going to add to right. my day Right. So, yeah, and I feel like I would just look around the grocery store and see these people doing this stuff and be like, wow, like all these 
beautiful human beings are gathered in this place to do something that we all have to do and share a common experience, which is like very visceral and odd Mm -hmm. to think about. But I don't, there's this song called Crazy by Narls Barkley. And it goes, I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. And I just find that so encompassing of my experience because I guess, you know, bipolar happened. I like lost my mind, but I felt that there was so much beauty in the world as I was like re-assimilating into regular life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that yoga really allowed you and I to connect more. And so how would you suggest that other families could use yoga to deepen their connection with one another? Well, it it was something that I was really happy to share with you bits and pieces, even when you were very young, like guided relaxation and um, things like that. Uh, because I felt like it's something that I first experienced with my mother. And now I want to share that with you. And, and um, so I think that, that, that it can just be, if it's something that you truly appreciate and, and you share, it's just like, you know, um, parents sharing love of a particular sport with their, with their child. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think just like when they say playing an organized sport gives a child um, leadership and tools that can last a lifetime, I feel like sharing yoga can, can do that as well, maybe even more um, effectively, right, to uh, help you learn to really be mature in how you handle your emotions, how you integrate your um, body and mind. And and I think there's lots of fun things to do in, in yoga, you know, there's all kinds of um, variations out there now, you know, from like goat yoga to <laughs> hot yoga to, you know, kind of whatever you want to do, there's uh, a yoga uh, for you. And, and there's, you know, you can go to destinations to do yoga, you know, so that you can really, it's, it's a very rich thing that, that you can share with your family but it can also be um, a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I think we saw a lot of that together. We still haven't done a yoga retreat, but we definitely should. Right. Well, and and of course, the one thing that um, happened to me that really expanded my practice was because of you. Like when you really started in uh, on your own deepening your yoga practice and, and going for yoga training, then that inspired me you know, in my sixties to say, you know, I would like this. to do that too. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, um, 
at that point, you know, a lot of my yoga practice was solo, was at home. I would occasionally go to studios, but I wasn't really a strong member of any studio. And I remember you telling me the community that, that you had found just in your training. And I, you know, I really found that too. And, and, uh, I, you know, since I've been, uh, a certified teacher and have gone mainly teaching community, um, classes to, uh, a, a, an older, a, a middle-aged or up population that, that I've just found that, you know, there's, there's a, a strong sense of, you know, support and um, encouragement. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, good. So knowing all about your training and all the stuff that's, that you have been through, uh, what is next for Jean as a yoga teacher? Uh, what's next for me? Well, as you know, we're moving. We're moving um, back home to uh, our hometown, Pittsburgh, but we're going to live in a part of Pittsburgh that I have never lived in before. Um, so I've already looked around for uh, yoga studios there because I'm sure you know, it gives me confidence that I can quickly find a community that I can connect to in a new place um, just through yoga. Cool. And so I, I, I look forward to finding new studios, you know, practicing at some new studios where we go and, and, and maybe even um, teaching again to, again, I, I uh, you know, my passion is to teach to um, middle-aged people who maybe haven't been all that uh, physically active. Good. That's great. Um, well, I'm excited to see what you do in Pittsburgh and um, I'm excited for what's next for us when you come up here in the North, I guess. I don't know if Virginia is North to everyone else, but it's North to me coming from Texas. So yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I have a speed round for you. Um, all of these are going to be just short questions that you can answer. Are you ready for those? Okay, let's okay. go. Who is your very favorite yoga teacher? Oh, uh, you know, of the famous yoga teachers, it is um, Brian Kest. Of the just teachers that I know personally, I am always going to have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Sophie, who taught me my headstand, and of course, my lovely daughter, Libby Ogg. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. In one word, what do you find is the biggest benefit to practicing yoga? Um, health. In one word, how would you describe our mother-daughter relationship? Rich. Oh, that's sweet. What is on your nightstand? Books. And what is your favorite yoga book? Oh, I have lots of, um, I have lots of books that uh, I like. Right now I am, um, I'm, uh, I'm looking through uh, Kena McGregor's um, Ashtanga books and, uh, but, but, I, I would say my absolute favorite is Anne Swanson's The Science of Yoga, which is a newer book. It maybe came out 
maybe two years ago, and it really talks about the physiology and the anatomy. Uh, it breaks it down by body system and the effect that um, poses have on the various body systems. So and yoga and Swanson's science of yoga is my absolute favorite. Cool. All right. What is your favorite yoga pose? Ooh. Oh, wow. I cannot say. I, I don't really have a favorite pose. It, you know, it, var it varies from time to time. Okay. Well, what is it today? It, it, I would say that it is warrior one, just because I am coming into new awareness of squaring hips, torso to the front. Good. Good. That's good. <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite? Oh gosh. My least favorite is wheel. That's okay. Easy. Yeah. And, that's a good and, one. And, and, and it is because my shoulders just do not like wheel. Although I have given um, serious thought, you know, now now that I am pro prop, I have given serious thought lately to uh, trying wheel with props, either the inversion chair or the specialized wheels that are made for that. Cool, awesome. And then my last question is, what is your favorite part of yoga class? Um, I, I would say my favorite part of the yoga class is just getting a, a, a flow of vinyasa that I felt was graceful and properly aligned that I, I almost feel like I'm floating or flying through that. Great. I love that. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. This has been Jean Caputo, my mother, an amazing yoga teacher. Mom, if anyone wants to find you out there, where can they find you? Well, um, I am on Facebook, Jean okay. Caputo. Facebook, Jean Caputo. Okay, we got it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Speak the Movement. Om Shanti. Peace. Thank you.